Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 25. And our sermon today is entitled, The Gospel According to Abraham, Law, and Gospel. This will be the final sermon in this series of The Gospel According to Abraham. This is the Lord's word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if, it, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Reading scripture should be a pleasant thing for all of us. To be able to open God's word and to read a chapter, to read perhaps a letter, to even sit down for an hour and to see how far you can get and, and to see sort of what story unfolds. But the Bible is hard to read if you don't know how to read it. The Bible is difficult to understand if you don't understand the, the, the signposts that Scripture offers us to read. We do this all the time when we read things. We, we understand the genre of what we're reading. We read accordingly. We have certain expectations of what the text is going to show or demonstrate to us. When you buy a new dryer and you open up the instructions, for those of you who actually read the instructions, there's an expectation that it's going to have one, two, three, four, five, six, many steps to exactly how to install and how to use the washer. None of us are going to read those instructions expecting an exciting story about interstellar travel. If you did, you would be highly disappointed. In fact, we do this all the time without even thinking about it because we recognize that 
When we read news, there's news. When we read a story, there's a story. When we read a list of things, we expect a list of telling us perhaps the order of things. When we read poetry, we understand that the language is going to be figurative. When someone tells us this is a history book, we expect to see lots of dates, lots of figures, lots of places, lots of wars, lots of colorful stories. And we do this because the world has, has taught us how to read literature. The Bible is no different. And we do ourselves a disservice if we don't know how to read the Bible. There are many people who will say, I've read the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. But they have a hard time understanding how the pieces fit together. There are many people who will read God's word as sort of a fortune cookie. They will sort of pick and choose verses and try to apply it to their lives as quickly as possible. But is there more to God's word than that? Does the Bible itself reveal a strategy of how we should read it? And when it does reveal that strategy, if we follow it, well, does it match? Does it actually reveal a story that's greater than we could have ever saw in the first place? You see, I believe that the Bible actually shows us how to read the Bible. And when you learn how to read the Bible, you will be excited to read it every time you pick it up. The Bible itself, overall, is a history book. It's a history of redemption. It's a history of how God has redeemed his people. And a history of how God has redeemed you. The question that the Bible answer is, how will God save humanity? How will God redeem his people? Now, for those of you who are more scientists or engineers, you want to say, all right, give me a list. A, B, C. This is how God is going to save his people. And theologians have done that. It's called systematic theology. They read through the Bible, and they said, okay, what's the problem? Problem is sin. Okay. What's the consequences of that sin? All right, A, B, C, and D. What's the solution? Question number two, what's the solution? All right, solution is God enters into, into the world of humanity and eventually sends his son, Jesus. All right, question number three. How does Jesus save? How does his coming into this world, his dying on the cross, actually, well, give salvation? Actually solves the problem of sin? A, B, C. And so forth and so forth. And for many of us, we want a systematic theology. And we, we take that and we sort of place that on scripture and, and that's how we read it. But that's not the primary way that God reveals himself to us. Believe me, 
I wish there were days that God did that, and so do you. God, just tell me, just tell me what, what chapter and verse in your Bible tells me about who I should marry, what type of person I should marry. Tell me just where that is. Tell me, in, in, in this situation, what am I supposed to do? And you wish there was sort of this, this index that would just sort of point you to, to that place. The Bible is more than a systematic theology, a systematization of certain, certain um, principles. The Bible is primarily a historical book. And, and we, in scholarship, we call this biblical theology. It's not the best term. When you think about biblical theology, you think about theology, that's biblical. But biblical theology is a term that we use, and it's just helpful for short term for all of us. Biblical theology is simply, how does God's story of redemption continue to unfold from Genesis all the way through Revelation? So in biblical theology, we look for themes that are developed. We look at way God deals with people and see how God slowly changes the way he deals with people. We see sort of principles in its nascent state to principles that become full bloom. And we see how God develops all of that until we see the final ending when the Lord returns. This is how we primarily read God's word. And this is how we, as, God, as, as just creatures, we read literature. You are the Harry Potter generation. I have to confess, I only read the first two books and I stopped. Okay. I had other things to do. Anyway, but, but for many of you, you read book one, you read book two, and then you read the rest of the book, and, and you finally figure out, the, you finally get the ending. And after you find the ending, what do you do? Well, if you're a real Harry Potter fan, you go back and read the book, books all over again. If you're not a Harry Potter fan, then you don't read the books all over again. But if you're a Harry Potter fan, you go all the way back to the beginning. Why? Because you want to see the seeds of everything that was finally revealed at the end. You do. You want to see from the beginning Harry's lineage and how it was expressed in book one. How it was developed in book two, book three, book four. You want to see how the ending itself was actually foreshadowed and spoken about in the books before. This is why you can read Harry Potter over and over again. This is why some of you can, can read, um, 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 I just forgot the, the, the uh, Tolkien's thing, was it? Lord of the Rings. Some of you guys can read Lord of the Rings over and over and over again. This is why some of you can watch Korean dramas over and over again. I know who you are. Because the ending helps you to understand how everything developed. The Bible is no different. And in fact, the, the, the Bible is what we call the, the meta-narrative of all narratives. The Bible sets the standard because the Bible reflects the reality of what God is making. We are made for story, but the story is the story of God and us where God is the main character, and we are characters in his story. But not a fictional, fictional story, but a real-life story of God's love for you and for me. Now, let me sort of progress in this. 
when we read just the Old Testament, it's very hard for us to understand. In fact, if you just read the Old Testament without understanding the New Testament at all, you're going to be a little bit confused. You're going to try to figure out what does this mean for me today? You're going to see all these laws about, about what it means to be clean. You're going to hear about all these different types of sacrifices. You're going to see just how women are treated and foreigners are treated and, and some things just don't match up. When, when God says, listen, you're only supposed to have one wife, but why does Abraham have many wives? You know, you're supposed to, I mean, there's a lot of things that just don't add up. And when you read the Old Testament, you're, you're asking yourself the question, how does this make sense? But hopefully you're enraptured by the story because this is God's story. But here's where things are different. The New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament. And the New Testament simply says that Jesus is the fulfillment or the answer to all the questions of the Old Testament. And in fact, Jesus, and this, the whole complex, if I can use that term, of his birth, life, death, resurrection, and second return, are all a response and a fulfillment of the Old Testament. What does that do? Once you know that Jesus is the answer to everything, just like a good Harry Potter story, okay, let me put this way, you go back to read the Old Testament, and you go like, how, where did I miss this? Where, where, where's Jesus here? How, how, how did Jesus himself sort of, pay for sin? How did Jesus himself, what does this perfect life mean? How, how does Jesus himself, the fact that he's, he's gone and sent the Holy Spirit, how is that all sort of pre-told or foreshadowed in the Old Testament? This biblical theology or unfolding of history, of redemptive history, is the primary way that we need to read the Bible. Now, why am I going on this long, long introduction to, to this passage? It's because the question of law and gospel has to do with the ending. You ask your friends who are Jewish. You ask your friends who are even Muslim. And you ask them, what's the Old Testament about? Most, not all, but most of your Jewish friends will simply say it's about the Torah still, about the law. It's about the application of the law today and how we live according to law in light of the Holocaust. But we still adhere to the tenets of Moses. That's a different re way to read the Old Testament, then, is it not? If their ending is different from ours. Our ending is that Christ has come to fulfill the law and the commandments. 
that it was actually plain and foreshadowed in the Old Testament that it was Jesus who was to come. And because of that, we go back and read. If anything else, this, this sort of brief introduction to hermeneutics or interpretation, I hope it, 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 it um, encourages you, maybe even excites you, to go back and read the Old Testament in a different way, in a different light. Just like a good 10-part series Korean drama. Just like a good six-book series sci-fi. Go back and read. And be in awe of how God has unfolded his plan. Now, why is this important? Because here in, in Romans, we get to see how Paul himself, in light of the end story that Jesus has come, how he goes back and looks at the story of Abraham that is, that is in his Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. And we see how he's able to connect Abraham with Jesus and how he's able to connect that Jesus with you and me. We are a continuation of the story. Abraham, what he did, Jesus, fulfillment, you and I who are sitting here trying to figure out what does this mean to you and my, we to you and me. We are a continuation of the story. And the story is simple. That the law was never meant to save. That it was simply faith in God. The righteousness that was credited to us. That saves. When we look at the Old Testament, we look at the stories of Abraham that we went through. We see that Abraham sort of grew in stature in his faith. We saw that in the, in the, in the pinnacle last week in Genesis 22 when, when God tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son Isaac. Obey me. We saw the wrestling between the, the, the promise of God that I will make you a great nation through Isaac and then the command of God to sort of take away, almost take away that promise by saying, sacrifice that same son. The confusion that is there. And yet Abraham grew in stature in his trust in God that God would provide and God himself would give a way out. Pinnacle of faith to trust in God. If you read the Old Testament carefully in the, in the law, in the Torah, we will see that no one, no one followed the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses perfectly or to a T. In fact, they all failed. So what is the perfect purpose of the law? Well, here it says, listen, if salvation was through the law, then, then, then no one could be saved because no one followed the law. And in fact, if that's true, then our conception of faith doesn't make sense anyway because we hear, we say that it is faith that saves, but if we say, no, it's the law that saves, then, then which one is it? 
the purpose of the law, of worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The purpose of the law, first and foremost, is to bring about sin and to open your eyes to sin in your life today. It is like taking that red pill in the matrix. Do you want your eyes open to see how broken and sinful this world is? Many people don't want that. Many people don't want to go down that road. But if we look intently on the law of God, worship the Lord, the Lord God only. Do not make any idols. Honor your mother and your father. Do not steal. Do not covet or desire anything that your neighbor may have. If we as human beings looked intently into that law, any of those, and asked us, do we really keep any of them? The answer would be no. And that's when sin gives birth to our eyes. And that's when we're left undone. The purpose of the law was to show that we can't do anything. And the purpose was so that we could see that it is Christ himself who bestows upon us that faith that allows us to trust. And this is foreshadowed in Moses when it says that righteousness was credited to Moses. In other words, God was saying, listen, you live your life, you are failing at every single turn. You are. But God, but Moses, sorry, but Abraham, I will still be with you, fulfill my covenant, and love you Because I'm God. There's a righteousness that's not yet been fulfilled yet. That's not been, that's been credited to you, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. It hasn't been paid off yet. But that future payment, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to treat you and love you as I will someday when my son comes and pays off all the debt. And Abraham unknowingly lived by faith, by believing that one day he will be, that his debt and his lawlessness would be paid off. This is beautiful. This is like some of you say, listen, I'm going to take loans out for college, thinking one day there'll be a benefactor who'll pay off all my loans. No, that's foolishness, okay? But this is on the cosmic scale. Abraham is saying, listen, one, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to trust God, even though I'm failing miserably. I'm going to trust God and follow God, even though I don't know how my sin is going to be paid for. 
I don't know how all my wrongdoings are going to be paid for, but I'll keep trusting God. And that day came. And the fulfillment of the story is that Christ has come to pay all the debt of all the people from beforehand, the Old Testament, and all the people today, you and me, that we may be called righteous before the Lord. The call for us is to trust in God in this beautiful story. Do not live by the law, but live by faith. Come here like Abraham in a sense, knowing I'm going to mess up a lot. Come here knowing that God is still with me. But come now with the perfect knowledge that you know how that was done. It was Jesus who paid for my sins. And it's Jesus that I trust. And that my story will continue the story of redemption until the Lord has come. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace and your mercy in all things. Lord, we thank you that you counted it us, counted to us as righteousness. What God, what your son Jesus accomplished on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that your Bible is just more than the story of rules and regulations or a list of things to do. But it's a story that we're caught up as caught up into as well. For the way, Lord, that you dealt with Abraham and Jesus the way you dealt with the apostles, and the way you dealt with all the saints who are before us, Lord God, are all similar in the sense that it is through Christ that our sins have been paid for. And it's by faith and trusting what Christ has done that we are with you, Lord God. We look forward to the day, Lord Jesus, when you will return and make all things perfect. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.